Welcome to the podcast series of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration through Languages and the Arts. We bring you sounds to engage with you and invite you to think with us. Hi, my name is Lauren Roberts. I'm one of the UNESCO Vila Secretariat Coordinators and I'm here to introduce this next episode in the Sounds of the Spring School 2021 podcast series. During May 2021, we organised our annual Spring School, The Arts of Integrating, around the theme of May Day. On the 25th of May, Dr Agiro Kanaki gave her presentation entitled The Art of Integration, May Day, May Day and McIntyre. Agiro is a lecturer in education at the University of Dundee. She holds a PhD in language education and her current teaching focuses on the pedagogy of modern foreign languages in TESOL, issues around culture and debates and international education. Agiro currently researches metalinguistic awareness and its relation with language policy and language practice. Societies and languages sail along beside each other, but they also influence each other as they move. Meanings of words interrelate with histories, which are our source of interpretation and our excuses for events and life stories. In her presentation, we had a critical discussion on humanitarianism and human-centred understandings of the other, using the work of the Scottish philosopher Alistair MacIntyre as a guide. In the presentation, she drew links between multilingual migrant and minoritised publics in contemporary Western societies and the unity of human life. The presentation was intended simply to contribute to critical discussion of how we see ourselves by commenting on how the moral picture we create is interwoven with the other narratives in our societies and all their people, as we struggle to understand ethics of care and our excuses for the lack of it. Next, you'll hear an excerpt from that presentation. Please enjoy. Uh, my intention in this presentation is to reopen critical discussion on humanitarianism and human-centered understanding of the other. To sensitize people uh, in humanitarian matters, drawing links between multilingual, migrant, and minoritized publics in contemporary societies. In my efforts as an applied linguist, I will use as guidelines the work of the Scottish moral philosopher, Alistair McIntyre, and I will try to portray the unity of human life in the form of the meta-narrative around morality employed by McIntyre. This presentation has two parts. In the first part, I offer a short but pointed statement of the relationship between language and politics, as it is seen by some linguists in contemporary Western societies. Every discussion of multilingualism is political because it begins with a decision as to whether human societies are naturally monoglot and stable, necessarily culturally discrete and closely related to their own nationhood? Or are they consistently and everywhere simply arenas for competitions between individual cultures 
and their representatives, geographically limited by circumstance and the strength of armies and ideas. How are these multilingual and multicultural societies related by and to migrant and minority publics? The Mede of drowning Syrian and African children, the forgotten May days of superseded working class cultures, and the constant renegotiation of value in every Western polity. And of course, there are important questions of how and perhaps why these are all related to our, our understanding of ourselves, our religions, and our universe. In the second part of this presentation, I will talk about Alistair McIntyre's work and how it can offer us another perspective, another toolkit to understand this multilingual condition. As I said, this is about reopening the long encyclopedic debate, because it is a debate between the concrete and the ideal, between Aristotle, who knew that the value of what you know depends always on how much your teacher charge you per lesson, and Plato, who knew that most of what you knew was a metaphor and was valued and qualified as knowledge only by imagination. I do not recommend that anyone trying to present such a, such a journey um, at a conference. We should content ourselves with the Irish answer. The farmhand who was asked the way to Dublin by passing ethnographic researcher probably and replied, if I was going there to be sure, I wouldn't start from here. So I'm starting from here in the certainty that everyone else starts like we all do from the same here. Let's start with defining the term multilingualism and unpacking a first concept in a biased way. Multilingualism in society does not simply refer to people speaking multiple languages and performing this fluently. This kind of definition goes against the individual and social dimensions of multilingualism. And recent press distinctions between real multilinguals who speak a minimum of six languages and other not quite real multilinguals like me who struggle with five Language is dynamic, is fluid. It never stops changing. It even shifts the rules it offers about itself. Political scientist Patricia Nance notes that there is no such thing as a clearly defined and transparent language. All utterances are situated in a specific cultural 
and social historical context. In every communication setting, there is always an interplay of cultural and sociopolitical factors that define what we say from both the outside and the inside. For example, our particular accents reveal our family background, our location, our educational level, and so on and so forth. With this in mind, we can see that multilingualism, the languages we speak, the dialects we speak, the way we speak, is always subject to power variables that define the status and the legitimacy of languages. Languages can be and have been like human beings, accepted as well as ignored and rejected because we attribute value and status to languages. This is despite the increasingly noticed multilingual condition of individual societies. For example, anthropologist Steven Vertovek talks about super diversity, looking at communities here in Britain. In England, 30% of pupils at the end of Key Stage 2 in 2017-18 had English as an additional language. But that does not mean that all languages are accepted and respected. An example of this attitude can be portrayed when Theresa May, as Home Secretary in 2015, announced a sharp reduction in funding for translation services and a significant increase in the funding available for English language training in her efforts to support our multiracial, multicultural, and multireligious society. Her announcement was far more supportive of monolingualism rather than multilingualism, or rather a monoglot solution to a polyglot problem. Multilingualism is not a new phenomenon nor emphatically a Western phenomenon either. Think of India or South Africa. Both countries are officially multilingual. During history, people everywhere have been multilingual. Think of the Roman Empire or the Ottoman Empire. Empires were all multilingual. Think of the multilingual landscape of Britain between 700 and 1400, where different variations of English, French, and Latin were interwoven by British usage. That list could perhaps have included Norse and Brithioni and Godelic Gaelic. All of those linguistic distinctions have led to discussions falling out, drunken brawls, and starving children scattered 
evenly along UK history. Societies and languages sail along beside each other, but they also influence each other as they move. Meanings of words interrelate with histories. Languages have borrowed from each other. May Day comes from the French Mede. Help comes from the German Hilfe. Noticing multilingual conditions of societies has also resulted in the creation of multilingual publics in a Habermasian sense. People come together to generate public opinions. These publics can probably be migrant, marginalized, and minoritized. They often present issues of status, recognition, and equal participation in the public sphere in the same way their own languages do. Languages and these publics share space and time with monolingual counterparts. However, the monolingual counterparts always win. This is because of state policies of reduction of languages in a given territory for better state management. Within the UK context, the acquisition of English language is directly related to many aspects of citizenship, including bordering practices, access to welfare support, access to employment and education, and access to the civic sphere. Aficionados of the state of contemporary Britain might enjoy adornos the Jargon of Authenticity, a book on how to build socially exclusive language within a polity. Sociolinguist Martin Rojo more recently questioned the ideology of preponderance of a single national language. According to her, the idea that the use and the prevalence of a single language brings national cohesion, as well as the idea that the prevalence of a single national language makes access to all spheres of social life easier for all the parts of the community are both ideas which have been challenged and then proven wrong. Migrants, marginalized, and minoritized languages still remain, and apparently despite the fact that they are neglected and ignored. The occupying space and time with a monolingual and strong national language. This occupation of space and time from all the languages existing in a public provides multiple voices what Nantes calls the multivoicedness of public discourse. But how can we understand this plurality of voices that constitutes public discourse? 
this is a matter of translation and interpretation. Translation studies scholar, Renee Maylerts, notes that at the heart of multilingualism, we find translation. Translation is about conveying meaning between and across languages. And it always includes interpretation. In this way, the multilingual condition is a constant process of translation and interpretation. Conveying meaning between and across languages, that is interpreting and understanding, are also political acts and affect our citizenship practices with their immediate results on how we integrate the other. Nuts describes translation as a political act. The procedures of democratic politics can be understood as methods for translating and eventually revising worldviews and articulating, examining, and cooperatively weighing conflict interests. So in our efforts to understand the other, there is always an effort to translate and interpret. And this effort is a critical and dialectic process. So societies and languages sail along beside each other, but they also influence each other as they move. They create publics that can be either powerful and visible or powerless and marginalized. Meanings of words interrelate with histories, which are a source of interpretation and our understanding of events and life stories. Multilingualism and its publics include colonial languages and their cultures, as well as migrant, minority, and heritage, marginalized languages. Our translation and interpreting are a constant process to understand the other. We use translation and interpretation all the time in our efforts to understand the other person. Now, let's move on to the second part and explore the relation between McIntyre's work and the multilingual condition of our societies. We have just seen that our societies are multilingual and multicultural. There are many languages, dialects, accents that exist in our society. And we always try within our, within our efforts to translate and to interpret we all, we're always trying to understand the other person. But now, what is the relationship between McIntyre and the multilingual condition of our societies? Away from academic postmodern theorizations of human life, McIntyre, a Scottish moral philosopher, offers us a different perspective looking at the self as a continuing and narrative 
with all the turns of a classical conception of the story. McIntyre notes a concept of a self whose unity resides in the unity of a narrative linking birth to life to death as a single narrative from beginning to middle and to end. For McIntyre, it is simple natural to think of the self in a narrative mode, a narrative mode that has birth, life, death, in the same way like beginning, middle, end. Let's try to understand what that means okay, against the shifting colors and values of the linguistic landscape. Now, human beings think and act within a particular setting. Now, the word setting is very, very important. It may be an institution, a geographical and temporal, temporal location, a specific environment, a community, or just other humans. At the same time, Settings such as societies, institutions, and so on and so forth, also have their own stories in which human narratives need to be situated. Both streams of story share time, space, and also intentions in order to be intelligible and to make sense to each other. We often call these stories discourses. For example, refugee charities offer help to Syrians. As charities can understand their situation, their efforts to escape war. This is a setting. At the same time, Syrians choose to travel to Europe, taking difficult and dangerous routes to reach European countries, to avoid the war and to find peaceful life. Both sets of narratives, those of the settings, that means the refugee charities, as well as those of the migrants, the Syrian refugees, as those of the agents, huh, can understand each other in terms of time, space, and attention. And that is as discourses. So there these interrelationships between the intentional, the social, and the historical are always embedded in a discourse. Trying to understand an act of somebody or something is trying to understand the intentions of that person or that organization. That means the intelligibility of each situation is important for our understanding. If the intelligibility is not clear, that means if we cannot understand the intentions and the conditions, what someone else is doing, uh, we feel baffled and hesitant. Successfully identifying and understanding what someone else is doing, we always move 
towards placing a particular episode in the context of a set of narrative histories. Histories both of the individuals concerned and of the settings in which they act and they suffer. We all live out narratives in our lives. And it is because we understand our own lives in terms of the narrative that we live out that the form of narrative is appropriate for understanding the action of the others. Personal narrative, identity, and meaning are a part of interlocking sets of narratives that can belong to the society we live in. They interpret, for example, the meaning of refugees, of asylum seekers, and of minority language users including those of refugees, of asylum seekers, and of minority language users who live next door to us. Our life stories are embedded in the story of the communities we live in. And we are part of other stories as they are part of ours, as they are part of our stories. Hence, there is no way to give us an understanding of any society, including our own, except through the stock of stories which constitute its initial dramatic resources. For McIntyre, there is a unity, and I highlight this word, there is a unity in a life. For the story of my life, is always embedded in the story of those communities from which I derive my identity. I am born with a past. And to try to cut myself off from that past in the individualist mode is to deform my present relationship. The possession of an historical identity and the possession of a social identity coincide. Let's not forget that the scope of this presentation is simply to contribute to critical discussion of how we see ourselves. It should be doing this by, comment, by commenting on how the moral picture we create is interwoven with other narratives in our society and all its people as we struggle to understand ethics of care and our excuses for the lack of it. How can we see ourselves and understand our ethics of care when a fire has broken out at Napier Barracks in Kent, the place we chose to house 400 asylum seekers who had recently been battling with an outbreak of COVID-19? I would change that and I could say exactly the same thing, but I will add something now. How can we see ourselves and understand our ethics of care when a fire has broken out at Napier Barracks in Kent, the place we chose to house 400 asylum seekers who, like everybody else, have recently been battling with an outbreak of COVID-19? How can we seem to support ethics of care 
when we find bodies of asylum seekers, let's not forget Mercy Baguma, who was found dead with her starving baby crying in a cot beside her in their flat in Glasgow in August 2020. Or the people who died at the hostel housing asylum seekers. How can we promote our activism when we know that Britain must be held to account for, the, for its role in the war in Yemen. The UK, alongside the USA, has been supplying weapons and providing military and diplomatic support to the Saudi-led coalition, which is responsible for the highest number of reported civilian fatalities, mostly from direct targeting in airstrikes. To sum up, our multilingual and multicultural societies are a reality. Multilingualism cannot extricate itself from political dimensions. As Strani notes, there is a constant process of translation, interpretation, and negotiation of self and identity in our multilingual society. This process of translation, interpretation, and negotiation is deeply a political act. Understanding our multilingual and multicultural societies is to be aware of and to acknowledge this process of translation, interpretation, and negotiation. McIntyre offers us a perspective on understanding our multilingual publics, as this process of translation interpretation can be facil facilitated by related human life stories to a bigger narrative. There is a unity in life. And everybody, all everybody's life stories, everybody's narratives are part of other people's life stories, other people's narratives. The simple understanding of human life stories as a narrative in which historical, special, temporal, and teleological elements all come together can help our willingness to accept the intelligibility of our own narrative. And of course, assist our translation and interpretation of the other and the narratives. In this way, our understandings of the ethics of care, humanitarianism, and the multilingual condition slide into another perspective. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you would like to get in touch with us about this episode or any other episodes in this series, our contact details can be found on the UNESCO RILA website. Check the show notes for details. Last but not least, the next episode in the series will be out on the 2nd of August. Goodbye and thanks for listening.